ladies and gentlemen, it seems we have a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the TopSpeed.com podcast. TopSpeed.com is your home for all the crazy, cool, and amazing internet, or things on the internet that are automotive-based. One day I will learn how to talk. Um, good good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I am Christian Moe. Today, like always, I'm joined with our editor-in-chief, Justin Coupler. Justin, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. And joining this ragtag band of hooligans is Mr. Mark McNabb. Mark, how are you today? I'm good, man. Just uh, enjoying this nice, hot uh, Florida day. Can't complain. The weather has been really nice lately. Are you guys getting like some really nice weather? Yeah, um, aching to go to the beach sometime this weekend. So yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be like in the 80s all week. It's been it's gonna be beautiful. Yeah, it's like 75 degrees here. There's a nice breeze blowing. It makes it really hard to get work done. I I can agree with that. Yeah, it's it's gotta love the weather. You know, especially car guys. Drop yeah. the top, go for red. I know, it's like, I, I just like, you know, I, I really wish that like a Porsche Boxster would just roll into my driveway for a week, and I would just live in the car with the top off for the next couple of days. Alright, anyways, but let's, let's, let's get to work here. Um, Alright, so, we're happy that everyone is joining us. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. This is episode 5, so it's kind of a big deal for us. It's our first sort of landmark episode. We've made it 5. Yes, um, we're halfway to double digits. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! We're just happy to get past the first one, I think. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into things with our weekly wheels. Uh, we're going to start with Justin this week. Justin, uh, you were driving a Lancer GT, is that correct? Yes, I had the good old Lancer GT. Unfortunately, they did not uh, give me the Evo model, although I begged them, pleaded, and they just wouldn't give it to me. Um, I swear it's not because they didn't trust me, but they uh, <laughs> they gave me the GT, which is uh, it's nice. It has all the goodies you like. Um, only about 170 horsepower, give or take. Uh, this is the one I spoke about actually last week that had a CVT transmission that actually wasn't all that bad because um, it's a cool little shiftable one. Uh, has a little magnesium paddle shifters on the back of the steering wheel, and it shifted. Not trying to say that it is, but it shifted similar to a dual clutch. Um, you got this real crisp, sweet, quick shifts, and the rev changes weren't all that drastic between all the gears. So it had six different settings, but they're just real quick slips in. But um, when you put it in regular CVT mode, you got the normal old droning wah the whole way you're driving. Um, so it sucked in drive, but once you put it in sport mode and hit the paddle shifters, it was awesome. Okay, I've just, like, so you say that that CVT is good, and I've heard from a lot of people that the CVT in the new WRX is good, um, and Nissan does a tolerable CVT, but I, I, I still, I'm, I'm going to have to get behind the wheels of one of these things, because in my brain, a good CVT still sounds pretty terrible. Well, they, I mean, I was selling cars, actually. Yes, I sold cars on one point. Go figure. Um, I was selling cars when the CVT first started making its comeback. Because it started in Subaru many years ago. Um, but it came back in the Dodge Caliber. Um, and I was at the Dodge dealership selling cars when that came out. And I, so I've had a lot of experience with them since then. 
And this is the first one that I can say I actually drove, and I was like, wow, that sounds like a normal transmission as long as you shift it manually. Well, but it's more than sound for me. Like, I hate the rubber banding effect you sort of get. Like, you know, you go to put your foot on the pedal, and you just kind of, like, lag, and then you're going, and then as soon as you let off, you kind of ease off back again. It's... I just... I don't... Oh. It's just, it's the furthest thing from being sporty at all. I, I, the one experience that I've had, or the most recent experience I've had with the CVT has been in that Corolla I talked about last week. And it just, like, you, you can mat the pedal, and it just takes forever. It's not an acceleration issue. It's just, it's getting the power down. And it just sucked all the fun out of the, out of the car. Yeah, this one, you, you definitely didn't have the rubber banding. Now, when you first start, of course, in first gear, yeah, you get that little bit of a, a drone as you're going through the, through the first gear, our first range, actually, in this thing. But once you, once you get shifting through the gears and hammering through them, you don't, you don't feel that droning anymore. It actually shifts just like a dual clutch. It's really strange looking, or really strange sounding and feeling. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, since you're the only one between the three of us that's driven it, we'll we'll let you have it now, and we won't call you wrong. But the moment yes. I get behind the wheel, the moment I get behind the wheel, be prepared because you might uh, be wrong. Then I'll be wrong. I know I will be. But hey, at least it doesn't have too much power for you, so you can't say that. But <laughs> more into this thing, um, you know, it's a little bit dated. Uh, the body design—I don't even know how long it's been around, but it's been way too long. Yeah. Um, the interior is. Uh, save for swearing, it's crappy. Um, the trunk is practically useless. I really couldn't even get my son's stroller for the opening. The trunk is big, but the opening is so small. They have that the, the, the cab pushed back so far, the opening is so small. Um, and then if you get the GT package with that massive grocery cart uh, spoiler on the back of it, um, the shocks that hold the trunk lid up are very, very weak. And I found that out via a bruise on the back of my head. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, I'm leaning down trying to stick the groceries in, and all of a sudden, whack, right in the back of my head. Oh. <laughs> Justin, I know we're friends and I know we're colleagues, but I cannot express to you how much money I would pay to watch you be nearly decapitated by the <laughs> trunk of a Lancer in a grocery store parking lot. <laughs> I don't know which one's more funny, me trying to shove the rug through the opening of the, of the Kia are trying to put groceries in the back of a Lancer when it decapitated me. One of the two. <laughs> I think that would have made a really good April Fool, uh, April Fool's uh, obituary. You know, Justin decapitated by Lancer. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to um, imagine the noise it would make because I know how thick a human skull is. I know how flimsy and resonating the metal is in those kind of trunk lids. So, like, it must have been a hell of a thung noise yeah. when it came down and hit you in the head. It was quite a thung, and I'm pretty sure it resonated through the entire car, because we all know how cheap Mitsubishi's metal is, so the whole car kind of shook as it went through. Oh, <laughs> uh, I just... That's, that's, that's a beautiful vision. I'm just... It, it was... It's funny in hindsight, but at the time... I almost lost my temper. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, so Mitsubishi, I don't know what 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 happened, but uh, I have some issues with your car. And the press people are like, what do you mean? Like, it appears someone vandalized it, and they um set the trunk on fire. I really don't know what happened. Yeah, I have no idea who they are and why they did it, but they did. What's that? What's a bump on the back of your head? Oh, that that's nothing. Don't worry about that. <laughs> my wife got angry, hit me with the frying pan. You know the usual. <laughs> Ouch. All right, well, well, let's move on. So Justin was driving something kind of sporty. Um, Mark, though, you were more on the luxury end of items, weren't you? That's quite right, my friend. I was driving the uh, the new 2014 Hyundai Equus. 
the new S-Class fighter from Hyundai. Um, it's been out since 2010, but uh, for 2014, they kind of reworked it, did some uh, some more updates on it. It looks a whole lot better. The looks aren't quite different, but they uh, deleted some tr uh, chrome trim uh, strips and stuff to really clean it up. Um, it looks really good. It's still powered by that 5-liter V8. It's got 429 horsepower. Um, I kind of dig pretty that. pretty respectable. Yeah, like that, that Tau V8 is... I have some issues with some of Hyundai's engines, but I really dig that V8. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get the chance to open it up too much because I was, it was in Miami when I got to drive it, and yeah, it was really, it was raining like cats and dogs, and traffic was going crazy. And if you've ever been in Miami, just yeah, it's it's best to stay out unless you know how to drive like a complete maniac. It, it's ridiculous. But um, I do know how to do that. <laughs> not someone who knows how to drive, but just. You know, being idiotic uh, in general. Sorry, my friends in Miami, but um, yeah, it, the traffic was terrible. Anyway, um, the car itself was really good. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, the back seat's the best place to be, of course. Um, tons of legroom, um, and then if you get into the ultimate edition, you can get the uh, the the screens in the back seats or in the in the in the back of the front seats. You control the uh, uh, the navigation, everything from there. So. As you're sitting in the back seat, you can enter in the GPS coordinates and everything like that. Tell your driver where to go. Um, it's and it undercuts the Lexus LS460 by like 30 grand. That's the best part. It's, it's hard to believe how far Hyundai has really come. I mean, to even mention Hyundai in the same name as Lexus and Mercedes. I mean, that's that's nuts. And and the Ecus really does do its best to compete. Yeah, it's not the pure driver of say the S Class or something something in that realm. But it's still the luxury items are right on par with them. Yeah, and you know, someone who's in this market for a car this expensive, they've got to have some sort of business sense. And to realize that you can get the car for thirty grand less than the competition, you can buy whatever you can buy a Mazda for that, and you know, or invest it or whatever you want to do with it. But um, it the car, it's hard to pass up the the business proposition on that. I think I think it's a good deal. Right, and I mean, I I th I think that's something that Hyundai's really hit on with with this car and and uh, with the like like the new Genesis, which I think is a beautiful looking car. Awesome looking car. Is that like so? If you are a hardcore S class buyer, you're not going to buy the Hyundai. No. Um, yes, it has a lot of the same features, but the overall fit and finish and quality just isn't quite on par. But it's really close, and if you're not someone who has spent the last 15 years buying an S-Class, the Equus is way more than you need and way more than you expect. And yeah, that 30 grand is huge. I mean, that makes all the difference in the world. And yeah. I think that's one thing Hyundai has really hit on is like, I don't think they're stealing too many buyers from the big Germans, but if you are someone who you've just hit middle management, you're sort of looking to step into that really high luxury class, the moment you sit in an, in an Equus and you see that sticker, you're going home in it. Oh, yeah. So they're making huge strides in bringing people to the brand with that car, and I think that was the smartest decision about it, is no, they can't compete directly one-to-one. -one. I mean, it's very comparable, but it's not a full competition, but they have all of these other people who are trying to get into that sort of level of luxury, and they're swiping sales like like that left and right. Yeah, I mean, the, the base price on this car is sixty-one thousand. Uh, if you jump up to the next, like the they call it the Ultimate Series, it's sixty-eight, and for sixty-eight grand, you get all the options, everything you want, 
and you know, hey, that's that's a darn good deal. Agreed. I mean, it's it's really hard to argue with, to to say the least. Yeah, and the thing about it is too, I think Hyundai is really trying to separate the Equus line from the Hyundai brand name. Because um, if you go to the dealership, they're actually in separate corners and they're kind of like partitioned off. Um, and they're trying to make that Equus kind of its own separate luxury line. So, um, you know, people, they're going to have a hard time getting past that Hyundai name. But, you know, I think uh, you're right. It's not going to be a direct competitor against the, the Germans. You have to notice the same thing with them trying to kind of separate the Equus from everything else. I've been to a few dealers and saw it. It's just off in its own little space. The Hyundai badges aren't mm -hmm. all that prominent on it from what no. I recall of seeing it. I'm, actually, I don't even know if I remember seeing a Hyundai badge on it anywhere. There isn't. Um, no, it's like the little flying uh, emblem they've got. There's I, nothing Hyundai. There's no Circle H on there at all. Yeah, I didn't think so. I knew at least was very little, but yeah, I didn't think yeah. there were any at all. Is there so? Is there not one now? I knew there wasn't when it was launched, but I thought they had put one on the 2014 model. I really don't think so. Not at all. Okay, yeah, because I remember that was one of the big things I thought about it when it when they first started, and I'm like, that's a brilliant idea that they don't have a single Hyundai badge on it, but at the same time, that no, like that that says that we understand that our brand is a devalued commodity. Yeah, and that's sort of sad to see a company admit that. And I'm looking now. Yes, there is one Hyundai badge on the outside. It's on the trunk lid, right in the center. That's the only ah, badge. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it used to not be there, but now it is. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. And there is not one on the inside that I can see. No. All right. Well, Justin or um, Christian, what were you driving this week? Um, it wasn't this week. It was a little while ago, but I had. Probably one of the best cars that I've spent time in, and no one really understands this machine or wants to buy one. Um, I spent some time in a Ford Flex. Big square boat thing from Ford. Those um, are really cool, I think. I think they're super cool. The, so they had two generations of them. The old generation with the like weird three-bar chrome grill that they put on like the Fusion and all that stuff was pretty ugly. I didn't like it. It had a huge Ford emblem in the back end of it. But for the second gen, they put this really cool smooth nose on it. And the only Ford, and back to the logos, the only Ford logos on it is there's little ones in the, in the center cap. And then on the rear hatch lid in the bottom right corner, there's a small one that measures about four inches wide and, you know, two inches just tall. That's it. Otherwise, it's flex branded. And the really cool thing about this was not only is it massive, tons of room with three rows, um, it's incredibly, incredibly fun to drive. Really? Um, yes. Well, so everyone made a really big deal about the Ford Explorer Sport, right? They put this, uh, they put the EcoBoost V6 inside the Ford, Ford Explorer and give it all this power and performance. Um, they offered that before that in the Flex. Yeah. So I had an EcoBoost Flex, so I had this really cool, stylish, huge wagon thing with a 365-horsepower engine and all-wheel drive. That's hard to argue against. It sounds like fun. It. What's really fun is when you load it up with people, and it looks kind of like a stylishy minivan thing, and you go to get on the road, and um, if you give it, a, if you goose the pedal a little bit, trying to come out of a side turn, you can break it loose pulling onto the road. Well, that's scary <laughs> with people in it like that. 
Right. So you've got six or seven people in it, and you're like, okay, guys, are you ready to go? This car's kind of fast. And they all laugh, and then you nail it, and you come onto the road a little sideways, and then you just launch, and everyone's eyes are big and wide, and it's like, what happened? <laughs> I can just imagine. Now, I, I see this car, and I think that it would just make the perfect road trip car. It, what's your thoughts on that one? Um, 147%. I, I I want to buy one. I want to buy one bad. Um, I probably won't because it's a little expensively priced. But um, I, I I do want one. The one I had was totally decked out, top trim model. Um, all the seats were power folding, so like you open up the back doors and there's a little button. The second seat folds down. You Very cool. The, yeah, you open up the trunk lid and there's buttons back there, and the back seats will fold forward or fold down, or you can actually tumble them in in a way and um. The storage is really smartly designed. So behind the third row seats, the seats sit in kind of like a deep well. Yeah. If and if you want to, you can fold the seats and tumble them forward, so you lose front to back space in that back storage area, but you gain vertical height, like almost nine or ten inches of vertical height. So if you have something tall like a TV box you're trying to fit back there, you have extra room for it. Very cool. That's a good idea. Yeah, so like the rear seats would fold in like three or four different ways depending on which buttons you hit. At first, it was kind of complicated, and you can actually set them up and fold them out so that the trunk won't close because it'll hit the seats, which is weird. But yeah, so you have lots of control over how the seats will fold. And um, like I just keep thinking, so I'm a huge scuba scuba diver, and I'm like, I could take five people and all their scuba and camping gear, and I could head down to the Keys for a week and a half in this vehicle and have plenty of room. Um, gas mileage is terrible. With that EcoBoost V6. Um, well, yeah, if you're stomping it to like 8,000 RPMs. So the sticker says 16 city. <laughs> well, yeah, but the sticker says 16 city, 23 highway um, with an 18 combined. In my whole time with it, I only saw about 15 and a half. Ew. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like I said, it is a little expensive. This one's about as expensive as it gets, but um, it's about 50 bucks shy of $50,000. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, hey, you know, some people like it. Yeah, um, right around the time they brought me the Flex, I actually got to get a new decked-out Explorer also. It wasn't the Explorer Sport, it was just the Explorer, and it was actually slightly cheaper than the Flex. <laughs> That's really odd. Yeah, um, but I mean, it, it had everything, you know, dual-zone climate control, leather everywhere, big screen in the dash, like I said, all the electric folding seats. Um, it was really comfortable to ride in. The low ride height made it easy to get in and out of, uh, made it easy to put things in the back of, so it rode more like a car. I mean, it was just like the world's biggest, most awesome station wagon. Now, looking at that thing, I always picture it handling about like a pig. Is it is it okay in, in corners, or is it piggish? I'm surprised. Much better than than you would expect, and part of that comes back down to the ride height. It doesn't actually sit that far off the ground, so it doesn't lean a lot. And um, I don't know if it has to do with all the motors and electronics and the seats or everything, but um, it felt like the center of gravity was fairly low in the car. Like it didn't have that really top-heavy tip feel to it. Oh, that's good. Um, I mean, it was not a sports car by by any means, but yeah, I mean, I was caning it around a couple of my back back roads just with a big smile on my face. <laughs> I'm just imagining you flying around corners in this massive wagon. <laughs> Everyone who's listening, I implore you, just take 10 minutes out of your day one day, 
Go down to a Ford dealership and drive one of these things. Used, new, whatever. Make sure it's the all-wheel drive EcoBoost model and just spend some time behind the wheel. You will come away so impressed. I mean, people people don't buy it because it's big and it's square and they think it's ugly. Um, you know, that's fine. That's their prerogative. Uh, my general take on that sort of situation is you spend more time inside of it than outside of it. So um, why would you spend time and money improving everyone else around you on the interstate's day than improving your day? So if you buy the car that's nicer to be in and nicer to drive, you're improving your day, not theirs. But whatever. Um, it doesn't sell super super well. Um, you know, it's sort of an oddity in the Ford lineup, but I think it's one of the best things they make. Hmm. Very nice. All right. Well, that was little lengthy for us for the uh, weekly wheel section, but I hope every, everybody enjoyed it. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to some news. Uh, obviously, this week was, was April Fool's. Um, we had a lot of April Fool's news. Good stuff uh, here. Yeah, there was there was some pretty good stuff that happened. Um, we had the rebadged Fiat uh, Jeep. We had our uh, Dodge oh, Dart Barracuda. The Jeep isn't April Fool's. Yeah, the Jeep was just a rendering by uh, our friends at Bold Ride. That, come on, you can't tell me that they think that's serious in any way, shape, fashion, or form. I don't think they weren't being serious when they sent it to us. Um, it was just a, a kind of a tester because their Fiat has slowly smashed Jeep down to smaller, smaller, smaller. So they're just kind of playing around, saying, "Hey, what if they made a rally-capable hatchback? You know, a trail-rated hatchback? What if they did that?" That's kind of what they did. Well, it's right, it's kind of like a like a WRX Jeep version from okay. Fiat. <laughs> right, but but if if I said to you what is the definition of an April Fool's style news story, it would be <laughs> something that doesn't exist, that's a little <laughs> absurd, that's kind of fun to read, and it's completely made up, right? Yeah. Well, this published on the twenty eighth of March. <laughs> All right, we'll give it to him. It, it, to me, it goes in my basket of April Fool stuff. But uh, we had the Barracuda thing, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, Justin, wasn't wasn't that your your idea? Yeah, that's that's my baby. Um, I hit up our rendering guy and said, "Hey, let's make something as believable as possible here. Make don't make up a real rendering. Pick a magazine, paste the Dodge Dart on there, do something fancy with it, make it look cool, like it'd be an SRT Dart or something like that." and put it in a magazine cover, and we'll post it as a leaked magazine cover. Um, and that's what he did, and believe it or not, I mean, a lot of people seem to like it. Um, a lot of it made, I think, two top April Fool's lists this year, so we had some good traffic on it. Um, he, he really came up with the entire idea, though. Um, I have to give most of credit to him. I had the basic wraparound idea, but he's the one that really put it together and, and shined it up for me. <clears throat> well, all right then. There you go. Thumbs up. You did. You did an awesome job. Um, as any of you guys saw, we did actually do a favorites of piece. Um, Justin, you had listed as your favorite the BMW ad. You want to give us a little bit about that? Yeah, that one was just really cool. You know, there's all these sound synthesizers inside cars now that make a four cylinder sound like a V8, or they cancel that noise so an uh, Econo Boss can sound like a luxury car, and so on and so forth. Uh, BMW took that and took it to a, uh, a new absurdness by putting the force injection booster in it that uses electrodes in the seats and some other cool things to uh, basically give you a facelift so it feels like you're 
pulling pretty hard uh, forward G's. <laughs> and what really got me the most is, <laughs> I'm looking at the picture, sorry, I'm cracking up here. The picture they posted in the press release of uh, both the people with their faces smashed back and the dog with his ears up in the The dog. The dog does it. The dog is where it's at. <laughs> that spaniel in the back with his ears like 4,000 feet out in the air. <laughs> <laughs> and what's great is, you know, they took something that is already absurd, all the sound synthesizers, and said, how can we make this even worse? Okay, let's make fake G's now. Which, it's awesome. Um, it broke my cardinal rule of uh, April Fool's. My cardinal rule of April Fool's is it has to be at least somewhat believable. That's the only part that it broke. Uh, but the rest of it was just pure awesomeness. Right. I mean, it's just, there comes a time where they have to make something, like, it's just, that's too good. But BMW has a really good record of awesome April Fool's jokes. Like, uh, last year or two years ago, they had the M3 truck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember that one. Um, What blew my mind is when they actually made that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you mentioned in our piece, uh, there was the uh, Viper... Sport, sport Break. I think it was Yahoo yeah, Autos did that. Um, I think Yahoo Autos has, has actually pulled the piece down now. Um, I couldn't find it to do a little bit of extra research on it. But um, when I saw the Viper Sport Break, I'm like, okay, I know this is an April Fool's joke, but I really want them to pull a BMW and build it and bring it to New York. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be the coolest? Yeah. Right? <laughs> just, just to see it in person, I'm like, yay. Oh, they're coming to get you. Yep. <laughs> Well, they definitely have enough uh, Viper sitting in stock to hack one up, so yeah, that you know, be a problem. That's the, that's the <laughs> saddest part about it is that, you know, I mean, the, the the Viper just isn't selling as well. I don't know what the deal is. I mean, it's a it's an awesome car, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, yeah, it's pricey, but, I mean, it's a lot of car for the buck. Um, you know, why it's so backlogged on sales is it's kind of beyond me. I don't know. It is it is a lot of car for the buck. There's a lot more car out there. That I mean, you got the Corvette. That's yeah, incredible true. performance for way cheaper. And then you have the GTR, which is way more performance for the same price. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I think it's, not a whole lot more says like Murica than you know a Burling V10 from Chrysler. I mean, you know what? A big boat engine inside of a tiny car is pretty cool. Um, but let's let's do a bit more Murica here. Uh, Mark, your favorite April Fool's thing was um, actually really sweet. Uh, the oh truck my, trend Bronco. Oh my gosh, Murica all the way. I mean, this is such a good rendering. It I it, I read half the article before I realized what the date was. I was so excited. So they took the the Ford Atlas concept and they hacked it up in Photoshop, made it a Bronco. And the the article from Truck Trend is like it's like 800 words long of all the stuff about this truck, the new engines, how it's getting a smaller diesel, the four wheel drive, like all this stuff, so detailed. And then the last paragraph they hit you with it, like, oh, by the way, it's all fake. Yeah, when I saw that piece, I was I started drooling because I'm a huge Bronco fan, always have loved them. Um, and when when I saw that, I'm like, well, that actually looks real. And I did the same thing you did. I forgot what date it was, because um, the rendering is so spot on. I mean, it's I perfect. After I read it was April Fool's, I went back and tried to pick little things out of the rendering, and there's very little to pick out. I mean, there's only no. a few little flaws here and there that that make it obvious once you know. Yeah, right. And the thing about it, like, I got kind of confused because in the article, the truck trend, like, they use the interior of a Super Duty truck, and I'm like, that's eh, kind of weird they're using that interior um, and not like you know the one from the uh, the Atlas but 
I just kind of skipped it. I didn't pay any, pay any attention to it until you know after the article. I'm like, oh, why didn't I see that? But yeah, that's exactly where you start realizing it. If you know, is when you see the interior. Yeah, and but oh, it's just perfect. It, it really is. And I really, I beg Ford and, and GM too with the Blazer to bring these back. They're so cool. I mean, come on, everyone needs a two door SUV. Right. Well, but that's the thing though. There's there's not a lot of money left in a two door SUV. Nah, come on. I mean, so even uh. You know, Range Range Rover has the Evoque. That's pretty much the only two-door style SUV you can still buy, and no one is buying that in two-door. They're buying them all in four-door. They just they just are. It's just a fact of our market. Yeah, um, but it's I mean, sad, but I think I think if they made the Bronco with the removable top, I mean, yeah, I, that'll that'll be the key. Yeah, I, I think I would sign my life away to get that. That truck. Yeah. I think I think with the correct marketing, if they really bang these things out with marketing as off-road, this is an off-road vehicle, um, kind of like they did with like the Toyota FJ and and the Wrangler, like they still do to this day. There's still a market out there for these two-door SUVs as long as they're marketed to the off-road community. Yeah, you can't try to market this thing to a to a soccer mom. Just say, well, what do I need that for? Yeah. If you're marketing it out to the off-road community, the Bronco and Blazer, they still have have a spot. Yeah, right. I, I think it would make it. Go ahead, Mark. No, I'm just saying I, I think it would make it in reality if it did work. But I do have to, you know, remind myself every time I look at the picture that it sadly is only an April Fool's joke. Right. Um. I think. I don't know if like a full two door, but I I think if they were to do like a closed up off-road heavy-duty style truck and maybe give it the uh, small like suicide truck truck doors to get into a back seat, like the yeah, that that I I think they could get away with that. Yeah. Well, actually, especially now that now that the FJ is dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's not a huge hole, but that opens up a hole in the market. But um, my uh, favorite uh, piece from April Fools was from a former colleague of mine, um, over at Road and Track. They did a piece of F1 news. Um, as anyone who's watched F1 has probably noticed, um, the shape and styling of some of the F1 car's new front ends is a little oddly shaped. Questionable. Yeah. Questionable. <laughs> That's being polite. <laughs> but, um, so um, my old colleague Max Prince did up an article where um, Caterham's car, which has one of the more protruding front ends, uh, is going to be censored for all races that appear on television in Japan. Um, if any of you guys have ever been to Japan or know a lot about their culture, like that's not actually too big of a stretch. And it's a hilarious way to take an odd sort of cultural difference and apply it to something that we all think and know about, which is like every time we look at the front end of an F1 car, we think, eh, it's a big wiener. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous and it's childish, but it's just sort of what happens. Um, and the only thing I don't like about that piece is that I wasn't the one to think about it because it's pretty brilliant. Yeah, it seemed to get a lot of good news or a lot of good uh, publicity out of that. I, it, they seem to really nail it on that. I think. They I mean, it's... Tended... having lived. <laughs> Having lived in Asia for two years myself, um, it made me laugh because that's the kind of stuff you actually do see on TV there. Um, right, it's totally day, believable. 
everything is censored. A woman wears a low-cut shirt on their little, like, Jay Leno show. I'm sorry, he's gone now. The uh, David Letterman show. They wear a low-cut top and the cleavage is showing. Censored, big pixelations right there. <laughs> so it made me kind of laugh because I saw that all firsthand. <laughs> right, like I said, it's it's... You know, it's sort of funny, but if you understand the culture, like, it's totally believable, and that makes it even <laughs> funnier. But, yeah. all right, let's 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 go ahead and move on to some, some real news here. Um, actually, I, I, I do kind of want to talk about that uh, Fiat Jeep rally car thing a little bit more, because as ridiculous as it is, how would either of you put money down for something like that? <sighs> okay, personally, no, but I think the idea is... It's there. When I wrote the piece, and when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh my gosh, what a what a, what a terrible idea!" You know, like you're gonna defame the Jeep name. But the more I got into it, you know, I'm like, "Man, you know, they could really like open up a new market with this and totally like eat some WRX and and uh, well, now that the Evo's gone, you know." But um, I mean, it, it was it's kind of a cool idea. I like um, it. The thing I like about it the most is so. Obviously, there are things like the Polo R rally car and stuff like that that, that Volkswagen makes, and we don't get anything like that here. Um, I think if Volkswagen was to bring a Polo R to America, it wouldn't sell. No one wants an even smaller, even cheaper Golf that just happens to be fast and have all-wheel drive. I think that'll turn them off. But if you can use the Jeep name to sell something like that, you can be like, look, we know it's not a standard off-roader, but it's got the Jeep name. And it's made for rally. And do some great ads showing this thing flying down some back road sideways, chucking up dirt and gravel everywhere and going through all this, like, mud and stuff. Like, I think that would kind of get people excited a, a, a little bit. And so they can use the Jeep's legendary name of being off-road and dirty to try and push a new car into the market that we don't have. Yeah, I agree. I, I, think, I think it's there. It could happen. Now, here's one issue, though, I have with the rendering um, that first popped in my mind when I saw it. Does it's that hideous. even look like a... Well, it's hideous, but fun functionality. Does that look like a rally car? It has low-profile tires and all that. Yeah, all it definitely... Yeah, it needs I've, about two inches more of ground clearance, mud flaps yeah. on it, 15-inch rims with some meaty, like, knobby tires. Well, See, I'm I mean, thinking of something. I'm thinking of something along the lines of the old, like, Subaru XT... I don't know if any yeah. of you guys, you probably remember that, Christian. Yeah, the Super Rexy that had the adjustable suspension. When you're on the road, it rode you know, normal ride height, but you pushed the button and it came up another, I can't remember how much higher it went, but it bumped up a little bit so you could take it off-road and it could handle some of the, not heavy off-roading, but like rattling, it could probably handle that. So maybe they have something like that built into to that where it lifts up a little bit when you go off-road and things like that. Well, but, I, and I mean, to be really honest, though, like, um, I don't know how much you guys have paid attention to a lot of the, like, world rallycross scene and stuff right now, but with Ford Racing Fiestas and, um, you know, the small Citroens and things like that, um, like, this car isn't that far off the mark. They don't ride that high. Because, yes, you're off-road and you're doing dirt and you're doing gravel and stuff, but you don't need five, six inches of ground clearance. I mean, you really don't need that much because uh, it's just a loose surface. It's not a very rough and tumble surface. Um, even like with the smaller wheels, you don't even necessarily need that. And these are supposed to be street-going versions. Like, so think about the WRX and the STI. You know, those don't have huge ride ride heights. Those come with 17, 18-inch wheels. I mean, this is something that, especially now with the Lancer being dead, there is sort of a market for. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, this is the more streetable version of the car. 
Um, but I think it would still be cool to, I mean, to have both in the ad, you know, show the, the cool off-road rally car first with all the, you know, the lights on the front and everything like that, and then kind of match it up with like, hey, you can do the same stuff if you buy this car, you know. Right, that would, that would be the way I would do it, is I would start with a rally car, and then like in mid-drift around a huge corner slinging gravel, the street car comes flying in and takes it over on the inside line, and then the camera follows the new car, and then it hits the street and it slides to a stop. I, I like that. That so, sounds like good. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Chrysler, Jeep, Fiat, anybody, if you're listening, uh, um, you can get our you address can. and send the money on to us. But say, <laughs> you, can, you can send the royalty checks to Christian Mo. At <laughs> <laughs> and don't worry, fans of the show, I will use a little bit of the money to get us even more cool, cool equipment so we can do more cool stuff with this podcast. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, th I think it's kind of a cool idea. I don't know if it really has legs, and it is a little absurd. But at the same time, I can kind of see, depending on how you want to chase the market, that there might be a hole for it. I think it's cool. Um, one thing that I do think needs to show up and has to show up and I want to show up is uh, this uh, new rumored F-Type Club Sport. Uh, Justin, what do you think about the F-Type Club Sport? Justin? So that's actually Mark's. <laughs> I was like, did he cut out? Uh, yeah, I wrote that one up. Um, but, I mean, but, it's... But Justin can talk about it. No. <laughs> I, I'm not. Wow. Okay, whatever. <laughs> go for it, J-Man. No, you can go ahead, Mark. <laughs> you, know, you know a lot more about it than I do. <laughs> well, um, well, we don't really know anything about it. Um, just the kind of the rumor about it. Um, the guys at uh, Motoring had a chat with uh, Jaguar's uh, program director, Russ Varney, about it. Basically what it is is they're throwing around the idea of hacking away some weight and possibly adding some power and kind of making a just a, a lightweight track car out of this thing. Um, kind of the Z28 out of the the, the F-Type. Um, what this means is, I mean, just the next model up, it's going to be a lot more powerful. I mean, they really didn't give that much detail about it. I mean, we're all kind of guessing at this point, but um, why not? The car's beautiful to begin with. I think they actually gave, at least me, all of the information I need in any way, shape, fashion, or form to develop an opinion about this car, and that is a weight savings target of more than 400 pounds. Yeah, 440, to be exact. That's right, so it's 200 kilos. Right, that's, 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 that's 200 100 kilos, and even for a car that weighs more than 3,500 pounds, like when you think about 400 pounds in that sort of context. It doesn't sound like that huge of a difference, but, I mean, we're talking full seconds off of 0 to 60 times. Um, we're talking huge increases in top speed. I mean, 400 pounds literally could turn this thing into an entirely new car and bring it up to an entirely new level of performance than most of its peers. So like At that point, it wouldn't be so much like a 911 competitor as it would be like a 911 GT3 competitor. I mean, it would move it that far up the line just from weight savings. Yeah, and um, they're, two, they're throwing around the idea of instead of using the 5-liter V8, using the supercharged 3-liter uh, V6, it's a lot lighter, and if they pump it up, they can, they can get some impressive numbers out of this engine. Um, they're talking about, like, 550, well, no, that's the V8, 
Um, oh, what was the number I wrote in there? Well, I think currently the V6S is 360 horsepower out of the V6S F-Type Jag. I mean, if yeah, they could just right push that, that if, if, if they could just push that to 400, I mean, that's really... That would, that would be impressive. Yeah, and 400 is, is doable out of a 3.0, I, I think. Yeah, out of the, it, the car would weigh like 3,200 pounds. So eh, that's pretty impressive. That's insane. <laughs> right. People don't really give much credit to weight savings. I mean, you have these engineers that spend countless hours to shave 15 to 20 pounds off of a car sometimes. Um, to talk about 400 pounds, that's humongous. Yeah, and we do know that you know the, the chassis and everything is pretty much made out of aluminum, so that would pretty much stay intact. What they're talking about cutting weight is from the interior. You know, those thick leather seats and all the sound deadening and everything like that. So if they do make this car, it will likely not be a very comfortable car for long haul. It will, you know, be your weekend track car. Um, so look for that. Hey, hey, Mark. Um, so it wouldn't be comfortable. Um, you know, I really thought I had some care here somewhere. But it appears no, no care. I, no, I could I not care, care even the tiniest bit. I mean, it's, it's, they're not going to replace the seat with a five-gallon bucket. They're going to cut it down and put some Recaros in there or something to make it a little more sturdy. I mean, they're not, yeah, the car, yeah, it's going to be comfortable. It's not going to be your GT car that you want to take cross-country. Not you like know, an F-type coupe. If the bucket was bolted down and had a small cushion? I was just going to say, give me a stadium cushion. <laughs> take some uh, some construction pieces, maybe liquid nails, nail that thing down, and there you go. I'll drive it. You know, some like some, pounds. some journalist somewhere is going to complain about the lack of side bolstering in that seat. So I doubt it's going to work. Well, okay, fine. We'll do three buckets, one on each side, and then one to sit on. <laughs> I put some plywood, balsa wood. <laughs> Balsa wood, oh my god. Hey, Corvette used to use balsa yeah, wood, actually. In the floorboards, yeah, it worked for them. Yeah, it was two small sheets of metal with balsa wood sandwiched in the middle to cut weight. Like, that, I thought, was brilliant. Yeah. That's nuts. <laughs> but honestly, right. anybody who, who looked at this car thinking comfort is crazy. I said the same thing about the, uh, the M3 and M4. Anyone who goes there expecting this thing to be comfortable, you're nuts. So yeah. it, it's it's going to be marketed to that person who doesn't care. It's going to be marketed to Christian and me. Um, I I don't I don't know if I'd agree with you there on the BMW. Have you ever spent some time in an M3? In the old one, yes, but the new one, no. Okay, um, I've not new, driven the new one yet, yeah, but I have driven the 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 E90, the the last generation model with the V8. Yeah. Surprisingly, incredibly comfortable. Yeah, yeah, but the new ones have a, a completely different suspension on it. I, I think they don't even have any any uh, rubber no, bushings. Like yeah, there's no rubber bushings. There's play-free ball joints. I mean, this thing's going to be on rails, dude. It's, it's going to be steel tires on rails. <laughs> yeah. Well, BMW, let us know by letting us all drive one, and we'll see if what we what we think about it versus the old one. Oh, send um, me my address. There you go. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to some more cars we have because we have a, a bit more news to get through. Um, this is still in that same vein of super powerful awesomeness. Uh, we have a Hellcat Challenger, which is going apparently to be a Dodge Challenger with more horsepower than a Dodge Viper. America. America. <laughs> That's exactly I mean, what that car screams. Yeah, I mean... Uh, if you if you put Google Translate up to the exhaust pipe on this car, that's what it would come out as. Murica. 
with no, an apostrophe. I disagree. I think it would come out with just long lines of obscenities. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this car. Um, they're talking about you know the the next generation of Challenger, and in that car, they're talking about making a supercharged version of the 6.2 liter Hemi, making ungodly amounts of horsepower. Right now, the uh, the Viper's kicking out what six. 40, and so this is going to be above that. They're thinking 650 to 675, somewhere in there. Out of a rear-wheel drive car, two-door, I mean, yeah, it's going to weigh still as much as a house, but... 75 tons, I think. Yeah. But, but America, <laughs> you know? Come on. Yeah, and they're talking about bolting it up to the Torque Flight 8-speed, or the 6-speed. Um, no, no, the Torque Flight's the 8-speed auto, and then the, uh, the Tremec 6-speed manual. Um, that's that's a darn good combination. Uh, one thing that worries me about that, especially as they push closer to that 700 horsepower number, is can that 8-speed auto actually handle that level of power without eating itself alive? Well, according to Ralph Gills from uh, an interview he did with uh, Allpar, yeah, the torque flight can handle that. Um, apparently it is rated way past what that uh, the Hellcat engine is capable of putting out. So, and right now, you know, they're thinking about 640 foot-pounds of torque. That's been, that's impressive. So yeah. I don't know what the thing's rated for, um, but it's got it, I mean, for it to be in a production car, the thing would have to be rated up to like 800 uh, pound-feet or something like that. So they're not, you know, combusting under the car as you power right. away from a, a green light, you know. <laughs> Look at all that tire smoke. No, 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 that's, that, that's a fire. Yeah, that's, that's my transmission. <laughs> All right. Um, Don't laugh. I've done that before. <laughs> All it does is make us want to laugh more. Yeah. Um, I'll spare so, you my stupid 16-year-old story. <laughs> right, but but so we have we have slowly moved up in power through this pod, podcast. We started with a you know turbocharged Jeep small hatchback thing. We moved to the F-Type Club. Uh, now up to the Hellcat Challenger. Um, we're going to finish our horsepower war on this podcast right now with uh, the Tryon Nemesis, which if you guys haven't heard about this car, um, as far as I'm concerned, it's also an April Fool's joke because it's a company that, ha- as far as I know, has no other cars, and all they have for us is a render, but they say, we're building a sports car with 2,000 horsepower. You know, Christian, everyone has bashed you, including me, about your your comment on the first show about too much power. I, I, w- I think I agree with you on this one. <laughs> 2,000 horsepower out of anything other than a top fuel dragster is uncontrollable and just laughable. Right. I, like, I, like at I this can't point, stop it, laughing right now. Yeah, at, at, at this point, it might, as be, it might as well be 2 million horsepower. I know. And they're, they're going to they're gonna do it out of a twin-turbocharged V8. Like, what kind of cams are you rolling in that thing? Like, really? Come on now. No, I think the issue is that the turbo is going to be as big as the Volkswagen Polo. Like, like it's just going to have to be, <laughs> like some 747 turbines on the side of it versus turbos. I think, I think that's what we're looking at here. I don't, I don't know. Um, Justin, Justin's got 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 some of the info on this. I, th- I think, don't you? Well, you guys basically covered every last thing on the car. Uh, the press release was about uh, maybe 600 words long, so there's not very much going on with it. Um, you know, the 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 design of the car is awesome. Um, the look of the car is just 
phenomenal. It looks a part of a supercar. Uh, looks something that came out of uh, Italy or Spain or something. So it definitely does not look American. Um, <laughs> now the twin turbo V8, like you said, Mark, that's uh, that's pushing it. I think uh, for 2,000 horsepower. Um, I will have to go with you on this one, Christian. That's a little bit too much. And yeah. I'm pretty sure that if this car, and that's a big fat IF, this car makes it into production, um, it's not going to be 2,000 horsepower. No. Uh, they're going to revise that and say, well, because of safety things and this and that and if economy and efficiency, we had to detune it. But the chances are this is going to end up being just a, uh, a nice little design study, and they're going to put it with a little twin-turbo V6. You know, I don't even know if it'll get power. Yeah. I don't. I don't even know if it's going to get that far. I mean, I think that for the most part, this is just going to be pure vaporware. Like, I don't know if this thing is ever going to actually materialize. That's the likely situation. But the thing I like about this, what I think is really cool, though, although it's probably never going to happen, is that they built this car to accommodate people over six foot tall. I don't have that problem. I'm all of five foot six, but still, I know plenty of people that are over six foot tall that have to drive an SUV because they can't get in a sports car. You know, someone over six foot gets in my Miata. Suddenly they're hitting the they're hitting the roof of the top of their head, um, so it's nice. And they also make it optional to fit seven footers. So I'm just imagining like this massive bubble that they slap on top of the car for a seven footer. I mean, they, I don't want to flip it. It looks yeah. like the Jetsons car. That's exactly what I thought of. The big bubble they put in the Jetson car. So at least they're marketing to a niche market, the NBA players. That's good. I, yeah. I was gonna say this is gonna be like the NBA car of choice. But I guess okay. Now first, Justin. Um, you shouldn't tell people your height because you're just vocal, so so they don't actually know. So you could pretend you're six feet tall all day long. Um, but my thing, and I can't figure out why all of these car companies do this, is why do these companies think they know better than Porsche and McLaren and Koenigsegg and like Bugatti? Like Bugatti hasn't pushed their cars past 1,200 horsepower. You know, even the insanely stupid fast uh, Hennessy, like the uh, Hennessy Venom, they're like 1,250 horsepower. Like, that seems to be about the upper limit of what we can really still use to make a sort of usable vehicle and get that kind of power down. And then you have all these tuners like, bring us your Ferrari, we'll jump it up to 1,800 horsepower, and we've got 2,000 horsepower Lambos, and now we have a new car that we're going to make a 2,000 horsepower V8. And I'm like... Yeah, because you, in your shed, in some tiny town that no one has ever heard of, knows way better than Ferrari and their billion-dollar R&D budget. Well, that's exactly why so many of these automakers fail is because they can't do it. They don't think um, like Porsche and Lamborghini and so forth. They're thinking, oh, how much more power can I get? That's all people care about is power. And there is a point where power is excessive. Um, I remember, uh, I think it was uh, sometime this year, I can't remember the name of the car because it's, it's so obscure, but Top Gear actually did a review on a car that was monster powerful and supposed to be this phenomenal car. And every flip in time, they tried to drive the car. It either blew up, caught on fire, or just spun out. That was the uh, Zenova thing. Or yes, Zenova. thank you. And it couldn't clear their track faster than, I think, like a Ford Focus ST or something crazy <laughs> like that. Right, because you, you, you get to the limit, and it was like my whole discussion about too much power before is – you hit the limits that we have been able to alter physics. Tires are only so sticky. Suspension is only so tough. I mean, there's only so much we can do with aerodynamics and everything else before you just like, you know what, that's too much. That's, that's just too much. 
Yeah. If they're if they're purely marketing this car to people planning on driving on the Bonneville salt flats, then great, fantastic. There's your car. There's your car. Two thousand horsepower worth. But yeah, right. this is where well, I can even, agree with you. Even even that though, like most salt the salt flat runs are only a, a mile, and the salt flats are actually really really slippery. So they'd still have trouble for the first half mile. They'd they'd be in fifth of their sixth gears, still spinning tires at 170 miles an hour at Bonneville. You know, it's 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 cool to think and it's cool to say, but they're hitting the point of ridiculous. Yeah, and and the top speed on this car, I think, epitomizes that. It's listed as two hundred and seventy plus miles an hour. <sighs> I well, I, and I sit back and, and laugh. You, I sit back and, and laugh. You know what? To me, all that says is all of our horsepower is completely wasted because 270 miles an hour is almost what the uh, Veyron Supersport does with 1,200 horsepower, and 270 is what the uh, Hennessy Venom does with 1,200 horsepower. Yeah, and, only... uh, right, and like 270 is what Koenigsegg is claiming-ish with their like 1,300 horsepower. Yeah, and 0 to 60 on this car? Yeah, 2.8. GTR can, can... That's actually pretty horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, G they GTR say, can whip that. Well, uh, again, it's all turbo lag. It's going to be two seconds of you standing there with your foot on the pedal not moving, and then the turbo is going to finally spool up, and you're going to launch from 0 to 60 in 0.8 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this car is ridiculous. All right. Yeah. Um, we do have one more little news story, but we're running a little short on time. Um, so we'll try and cover this quick. Uh, Justin, you have a little bit about Ferrari fighting some people over a Facebook page. Yes. Uh, in a very ridiculous story that we happened across last week, Ferrari is fighting a 21-year-old over his uh, Ferrari fan page that garnered actually a lot of attention because um, when it, he first launched this page, of course, Facebook wasn't huge. Um, so it really became kind of sort of the official, unofficial Ferrari fan page. Now Ferrari is going after him for uh, for the page, and I think they, yeah, they took control of the page, uh, but the kid relinquished control without signing a contract for any compensation. So now there's a big legal battle of whether the kid gets the page back or whether Ferrari's going to keep the page and not have to pay him or if they're going to have to pay him. He's actually suing them for um, $11 million. You're going to say that with your pinky beside your yeah, mouth. $11 million. Over we all, we're all doing pinkies and we look like idiots. <laughs> <laughs> over 5,500 hours of work. Um, I did a little bit of math on this. You know, I'm not a mathematician or anything, but this means he spent uh, about 17 hours a week working on a Facebook page. Now, I know teenagers. He started when he was 15. I know teenagers love Facebook, but 17 hours a week is, first of all, a little bit much on a Facebook page. And secondly, after you do the math and crunch even further, this kid's charging $2,000 an hour, 2000 bucks an hour for his work. Um, um, why don't I make that much, Justin? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think Donald wanna... Trump makes that an hour. Like that's <laughs> that, that's an, I mean, both sides are absolutely insane here. Both sides are nuts. Ferrari number one needs to say, okay, we need to recognize you put the work in. Here's a million dollars, one million dollars. Here's no. that and a laser. <laughs> no, yeah. I dis I disagree completely. I think here is the issue. Ferrari, I think, fairly intelligently saw early on that this is something that could turn into a potential issue later on down the road with the number of followers he was getting for this page using their name, their brand, their logo, their, their everything. And they went to him, correct, and they're like, we want to take control of the page. 
because it's a huge page and it's for our brand and I mean it makes sense for them to approach him to try and get control of that page. Sure. The moment he said yes, sure, that's it. That's the end. You have screwed yourself. You said yes, here's this page, it's just a Facebook thing, whatever, you are now in, in control. I don't have a contract, there's been no real discussion to come, like nothing like that. You're done. Well, the you kid have did. put yourself in that in that position. Yeah, the kid did uh, did screw himself by not getting a contract. If someone like Ferrari approaches you about your Facebook page, you say, okay, you can take control, but I need some compensation for the page you're taking over. There's this many followers, this much content. I put this much time into it. You can't just take it. I need you to give me something for it. And he is going, he is putting the cart before the horse a little bit here. Um, but I still think Ferrari should should do the right thing and say, hey, here's a little bit of scratch. Thanks for the page. You know, now get out of our lives. Yeah, I mean, I th I think he made the mistake by suing them first. Um, now, granted, we don't have all of all of the details, but I don't feel like there was probably enough pre-legal sort of discussions for this. Because um, like that, that would have been my stance on it. The moment Ferrari said we want this page, I'd have been like, "You give me some money, and I will wipe my hands of this page for the rest of eternity, and it's yours." The end. Just like if I sold somebody a car, you give me money, the car is yours. That's the end of it. Um, you know, and by going straight to the court and being like, "Hey, here's Ferrari, and I want an ungodly amount of money," all he's done is put him in a really awkward position that makes him look kind of bad and look kind of silly, and Ferrari is stuck. I think rightfully defending their name and their brand, and that they have a right to defend their name and brand. They absolutely do. I just, I just think on a, I know they're a company, but on a an ethical sense, I think maybe they should go ahead and say, here, here's a little something. Um, yeah, sure, ethics may not come into play on this one, but I just think, as big of a company as they are, they should maybe compensate the kid for some of the work he did. I mean, yeah, I think if they send him, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars and said shut up and go away, that should be the end of it, and that's probably the quickest and smartest decision. But we'll just have to have to have to, uh, we will just have to see how this plays out. Yeah, here's a red T-shirt, kid. There you yeah. go. <laughs> here's a, here's a one thirty-second scale model of a LaFerrari. There you go. Have fun. <laughs> I got a bunch of those behind me. Well, not of La LaFerraris, uh, but I got a couple of scale models back there. <laughs> I do have an F12 Barbonetta. <laughs> Nice. That's I. That's I fair. really that's, like that that's car. Fair compensation. I love the other twelve million dollars. Yeah. All right. Before we get way too off topic on this, uh, we're already hitting our, our our hour mark here. Let's go ahead and move on to our viewer questions. Um. Again, we want to thank everyone who uh, comments on the post and sends us questions. We really appreciate it. We like hearing hearing from you. It gives us some extra stuff to talk about, and uh, it makes sure that we're giving you guys what you want to hear. So, um. Again, questions. You can please post them down in the uh, comments, or if you want, you can send us an email directly if it's a longer question. Uh. The email address is podcast at topspeed.com. Uh, we also have a new Twitter handle. Uh, it is just at Top Speed Pod Podcast, so if you guys want to reach us there, you can do that. Um, but we're going to go ahead and jump to the questions. The first one we have here is from a reader, Witty Derek. Uh, he wants to know what we think about the very cheap cars that are sold in Europe, like the Dacia. Um, he says, I mean, these cars just move you from A to B in decent comfort, and they're about 6,000 to 8,000 euros for a brand new car. Um, do we think that car would ever work that well in U.S.? Uh, he thinks it would be a great first, first car, uh, as long as you don't care how you look in it. Um, can I go ahead and start us off with this one, guys? Go right ahead. Um, well, Witty Derek, um, I think part of the problem has to do with these cars don't have a lot of features that are actually necessary to be a car sold in the U.S. 
Um, it is getting better, but there are a lot of safety regulations that U.S. cars have that uh, the EU doesn't, that some of these cars don't 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 have to come with. Uh, like one of them is dual smart airbags. Um, there has to be two airbags, and they have to be the smart adjustable airbags in the front of the car. A lot of these cars are only sold with a driver's side airbag only to help save money, and if you want to get multiple airbags, you have to buy the top trim spec of these. Then you also run into a lot of the costs from um, issues with imports. You know, there's a lot of import tax and a lot of customs fees and things that these companies have to pay. And then you also get the exchange rate. So 8,000 euros is like 11,000 or $12,000. So at that point, you're already to the price of some of the cars we have, like uh, the Nissan Versa. Um, and to be quite honest, Nissan sold a $10,000 Versa and nobody bought it because it had no air conditioning. It was terribly cheap. It was awful. People want cheap cars, but they don't want to give up on niceties. This is this is America, buddy. It's gonna have air conditioning. It's gonna have a stereo. That's like that's how we want things. And um, I think if a company brought a car like that, it would at first on novelty and for people who wanted a new car for cheap would sell a couple thousand units. But overall, I think it would be a massive, massive failure. What well, I mean, think? okay. So here's a thing that comes to my mind: the 2014 Mitsubishi uh, Mirage. I mean, the thing starts at thirteen thousand dollars. It only has 74 horsepower out of a 1.2 liter inline three, but it does get 44 miles a gallon. You got the choice of five-speed manual or CVT. It does come with um, air conditioning. It does come with uh, power windows. It does have airbags, but you know, I mean, it is a really tiny little car that doesn't really have a whole lot of appeal to it. You know, that is offered here. There's the things like the Versa that's offered. Um, other really small, tiny cars. Uh, Kia has a couple, but I mean, they're just—they don't do well in America. So I mean, why we don't have more of these? Well, no one buys them. That's that's my take on it. Yeah, the market's just really not here. I mean, we want our power windows, we want our CD player, we want our nice seats. We have to have our dual dual airbags, the smart airbags. Ms. Who the hell knows what Lancia is? I mean, a lot of these Euro cars, we don't know. Skoda, Lancia, all those ones, none of us know them. We know Nissan. We know Mitsubishi. And even Mitsubishi is a stretch for some people nowadays. But um, they're just the market is not there anymore for stripped-down, bare-bones, sub-$10,000 cars. Yeah, right. And and, and I, I think that's the biggest difference, too, is like that magic number, like $10,000. So like an $8,000 or an, an 8,000 euro or a 6,000 euro car sounds awesome. Like if they could convert that directly over, over to dollars, if they could make a brand new car for $7,000 here in the States, I think that would actually sell really well. But we don't have those. The only one we had close was 10000 and that was too big of a sacrifice for people. Like... I think at seven thousand we're willing to make those sacrifices. At ten thousand we're not, and so everything we have, like the cheapest we get, is like that thirteen thousand dollar mark. And once you're paying thirteen thousand dollars, I mean you're only fifteen thousand dollars from like like a Fiesta, you know? I mean like a, a nicer sort of better built car. Um, so yeah, as, as nice as the idea is for those cars, I don't think they'll they'll do well here. And and you know really cars like that don't compete with other cars in that. In that market, they compete with used cars. Because I think of like a twelve thousand dollar car, I'm thinking, you know, I go to the used market, I can I can get something with you know fifty sixty thousand miles on it. It's got a V6, it's got leather seats, it's got an automatic transmission, it's got dual zone climate control. It gets, it's got all this nice stuff. It's five years old, but it's still a decently reliable car. It might not have warranty on it, but 
you know? It's right. got all the bells and whistles. That's that's actually a hugely good point, especially like where I'm at in uh, Knoxville and a lot of larger metropolitan areas. Um, a lot of luxury cars are bought and sold in these sort of areas. For twelve grand, I can get a really nice three three series that's like six or seven years old. Yeah. So I can have a car that barely has air conditioning, or I can have a BMW, or a Volkswagen Phaeton. Yeah, actually, <laughs> <laughs> I read an article on that car the other day, and I'm like, oh, how awesome! They were they were talking about how terrible the uh, the resale is on that car, and I'm like, I should go buy one. No, and I want one so bad. Everyone yeah. needs a V12. <laughs> you, yeah, I think you get it for like eighteen or twenty grand for like oh, a yeah, nice one. Now. <laughs> All right. Um. So our our next question, and um, thank you for listening, and thank you for giving me a question. But I hate you for your name. Uh, from now on, if you're going to ask a question, please have a name like Bob Smith or Woody Derrick. Uh, this is Edward Nove, E D W N O V E. So I have no idea how to pronounce that, and I'm sorry. Edward Nove. Edward Nove. But he says uh, he wants to know how we keep being impartial when we're writing or reviewing cars. Uh, do we get influenced by what other people write? And uh, for example, he says uh, he likes Mazdas and he couldn't bash one even if he can see what 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 all the faults are. Okay, my, my, I think my take on this one is even if I have a favorite person in the world, I still know their faults. I recognize them, but I, I just try not to focus on them. The same with cars. Like, I, I like my Trailblazer, but I, there's tons of faults. I can look at them all day long and I can point them out, but at the same time, I don't really look at them. Um, same thing with newer cars. Like, I can stay impartial because I know the good and the bad, and I try to stay right in the middle and point out the good, point out the bad, but don't really take a side. You're the third party. You're just basically telling other people about it. You don't. You're not really paid to have a partial opinion. Uh, opinion, I guess. Yeah, it's 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 not the easiest thing in the world to do. It's really not. Like when I drove the Miata, the Miata Club, that was it was hard for me to say bad stuff about that car. But like you said, there are obvious things that are wrong with it. It's loud. It's plastic. It's it's, it's crappy. And, there, there are things you can find about them, um, but the big thing is you just separate yourself from your personal opinion. But also, you have to make sure you inject a little bit of your opinion because that's what people really want. Well, yeah. So you have to find the bad stuff and inject your inject your personality into that bad stuff too. Um, it's a tough balance. You kind of have to act like you're a teacher. You're just educating people about the car instead of telling what you think about the car. Right, those 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 are both great, um, great ex explanations for this. And I, I like what Mark said, where you're like, you know what the bad is, like that's it. And so think about doing a car review for us is like if if one of your friends asked you about another friend, even if it's your best friend, and someone says, what is their biggest fault? You still know what it is, and you can still tell them what it is. That's all our job is, is we tell you what we like about it and what we don't like, because there's always going to be something you don't like about it. If you write a review that literally bashes a, a car, if it's just, this is terrible, and I hate this, and nothing about it is good, and blah, 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 that's you being unfair, and that's you not doing a service to the reader or to yourself. You know, it's... Everything in the world has good things and bad things, and if all you do is yell about the bad things, then you're creating an issue. Um, if you can do the good things, then or if if you do only the good things, you're still doing the same problem. Then you're giving everyone a false idea of what this item could be. So you should always try and tread that middle ground. 
Um, as for never being able to hate on a car like uh, you have apparently with Mazdas, I can tell you that actually makes things worse. Um, if it's a brand you love, like with me and Subaru, I will mostly bash a Subaru because it's something that I love and I hold dear, and when they don't get it right the way you know they can, it makes everything worse because then that's almost like a personal hit on you. You're like, I know you can do this. I've seen you do this. You do this great, and you didn't do this. What is wrong with you? It's like your kid screwing up in school. You're like, come on, Johnny, get it right. <laughs> You're always toughest on your own. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that actually makes perfect sense. <laughs> right. And, like, even even with, with kids, like, let's say your kid makes an A on their math test this week, and then three weeks down the road they get a D. You're like, no, you've brought home A's on your math test. I know you can make an A on a math test. Why did you bring me home a D, you idiot? I'm going to hit you with a shoe. Um, uh, this is a disclaimer on the topspeed.com podcast. Please do not hit your children with shoes. Thank you. <laughs> we prefer belts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, so it's it's easier than you think in a lot of ways, in some ways more difficult than you think. Um, but so those are, uh, we, we only had the two questions. Um, again, we do love questions. Please send them in. We, we like to read them. Uh, we do read every comment we get, uh, every email we get, we'll read all the, all, all the tweets we'll, we'll read. So please send all those in. Um, we're going to finish out our show with uh, our own drive and burn segment again. Um, and this week we're going to do old school off-roading vehicles. Um, so we're going to do an old Scout, an old Jeep Wrangler, or an old Bronco. Um, and the idea is we're looking at something that you could buy used today, mildly restored. So I figure something like about like $8,000 price tag. Uh, Justin, you go first. Okay. Uh, this one's pretty easy for me, I think. <clears throat> uh, the one I want to own is a Bronco. Uh, it's the most usable of the three, in my personal opinion. Has the off-road capabilities, has some cargo room, has the back seat that's somewhat usable. Um, and it actually looks good. Um, in my opinion, the Bronco still holds up to this day. Um, sure, it still looks a little old, but it still holds up. The look is still good. The Wrangler, I want to drive once just because I want to thrash the living hell out of it on every single rock, mud, snow, whatever I can find. I just want to bash them because that's what they're built to do. Um, the Scout, no-brainer. Burn it, burn it. Throw it down a hill, bury it in the sea. I don't care. Um, I hate the Scout. It's ugly. It, it kind of reminds me of the Jeep Wagoneer. I have the same feeling about that and the Jeep Wagoneer. They're big, ugly, and I just never Wait, cared. wait, 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 wait. You don't like the Jeep Wagoneer? Nope, never have. I think this podcast is over. Justin, I think you've just been fired. <laughs> I will sign off now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're really harsh in that car, man. You know, like, okay, I have to admit, yeah, it's on my burn list too, but mainly because the other two are really good choices, and the Scout, I think it would be really hard to find parts for. It just restoring that car would be a a real pain. Um, the Wrangler, yeah, it's on my drive list. I love Wranglers. I will own a Wrangler one day. It's on my list, but it's not quite as usable as the Bronco. Same thing. It's a great truck. It has the, the back end to it. You throw some stuff back there. Throw some people back there. It's a lot more room than the Wrangler. And for 90% of the off-road stuff that you're going to be doing, the Bronco's going to be fine. Sure, you don't need all the flexing capability out of a Ringer, Wrangler, but I think the Bronco's where it's at on the own uh, everyday type thing. And my personal favorite is the uh, the third gen, the 80 to 86 models. All right. Um, I was really worried for a moment that... that everybody was going to have kind of the same idea here, um, but thankfully you guys are wrong again. Um. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to guess yours. I know it. You're going to you're going to drive. You're going to own the Scout. 
You're going to drive the Bronco, and you're going to uh, burn the Wrangler. No, you are also wrong again. Wow. Um, I am not going to burn to burn the Scout, though. Um, I have lots of friends with the Scouts. Um, I can tell you that finding some parts is a little hard, um, but not extremely difficult. Um, and most of them last forever. Um, like, like the part-wise, especially stuff that makes them run. Um, like for the Terra, uh, the Scout Terra from like the mid-70s, the transmission inside of those is essentially the same one they put in a school bus, apparently, because International doesn't make very many parts, so they just put them in everything. But um, no, I would, I would own the Bronco, because for me, there is no greater road trip car in the world than a Bronco with no top. All the cool, great growing up movies where you always had a bunch of guys going on a road trip or whatever, it was always in a Bronco, top off, two guys in the back loaded with stuff. Like, that's what I want. I want a topless four-seat SUV that I can throw stuff in the back and go on trips with. Okay, I'll go ahead and buy you a Geo Tracker then. <laughs> <laughs> I said that you could put stuff in with four people. You can't do both. <laughs> no, stuff, no stuff will fit in there. Um, but uh, I would drive a Scout just because, like I said, lots, lots of my friends have them. I like them. I dig them. I think they're cool. I think they're different. And if I was going to go out and spend a whole day in one vehicle, and it's the only time I ever got to touch it or, or drive it, I'd want it to be something unique and different that a lot of people don't have and a lot of people don't get to drive and a lot of people don't get to see. As the Wrangler, everyone in the world pretty much has owned a Wrangler at least once in their lifetime or knows somebody who has, and it's the most. it's, it's almost as ubiquitous as a Camry. It's just, they're everywhere, everyone knows what they are. Because um, they're that so, good. Well, right, but, so that doesn't make it very very special to me, though. So I think I, there will always be something special about a Wrangler going down the road without any doors. Okay, yes. no, doorless, <laughs> doorless driving is actually really awesome. Um, I, yeah. I do dig that. I also have lots of friends with, with Wranglers. But it's, to me, it's the most ununique of the three. I give you so, that, of course. And so that's why it would be my my last in, in line for a pick. So I would own a Bronco, I would drive a Scout, and I would burn a Wrangler. Wow. I'm just glad we got to mention the Bronco so many so many times in this uh, podcast. Yeah, it's in its glory now. <laughs> I mean, that might just be the uh, podcast name. It's the Bronco Cast. <laughs> Ford, if you're listening, please. <laughs> Ford, look, it's the Bronco cast. All right, um, so boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, we, we want to thank everyone for hanging out with us and listening to this. Uh, once again, this is the topspeed.com pod, podcast. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the cast, please send us those in the comments, or you can reach us on Twitter at topspeedpodcast. Um, we can also be reached by email. The email address is podcast at topspeed.com. Uh, I am Christian Moe. You can find me directly on Twitter at Moford. Our editor-in-chief, Justin Cutler, can be found on Twitter at The Car Junkie. And Mr. Mark McNabb is simply at Mark McNabb on Twitter. We want to thank everyone for joining us and have a wonderful day. See you guys. Thank you.